Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company, the bank that puts you first. They can meet your banking and financing needs for personal, agricultural, business, commercial, mortgages, and so much more. Visit firstbank.com to learn more. Virginia Tech football has received tons of good news as of late from players announcing their returning for the 2024 season to transfer portal commitments, including three in the span of 90 minutes on Monday. The military bowl is right around the corner too. We'll discuss all of that and much more on episode 337 of Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Tuesday, December 19th from our high-tech studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Remember to like, subscribe, and refer to the show to a friend. And head over to techsideline.com to check out our exclusive and extensive editorial content. As always, the first month of subscriptions are free. Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. This episode is also presented by the Hokey Way. The Hokey Way's $250,000 stone-by-stone fundraising campaign is underway, and they have a set goal for Tech Sideline of raising $75,000. As of today, we have raised over $55,000. To learn more and donate, click the link in our YouTube video description or visit Tech Sideline to find the link or email us at staff at techsideline.com and ask how you can donate. We've got a packed show today, and we're so glad you're with us. I'm David Cunningham, Tech Sideline's Managing Editor. Chris Coleman, our lead analyst and columnist, is to my right. Andy Bitter, our senior uh, staff writer, is across the way. Uh, I had in the script that Will Stewart, our founder and general manager, was going to be in the fourth chair, but it's a snowy day, and Will cannot, or he said he cannot get over here. So School was canceled today. And my daughter's at home, so we got the call at like 4.45 this morning. Oh, so yeah, it, it's slick out there. Yeah. So I got the call. I'm like, is somebody I know in jail? Like, what is <laughs> calling at 4.45 in the morning? This is ridiculous. One of those VTSMA students. School cancellation. Uh, and Nick Brown, of course, is behind the scenes producing one of our many fantastic interns from the SMA program. Uh, yeah, it's snowing. Christmas is almost here, but of course, we're not focusing on that. We've got signing day on Wednesday. Uh, very busy week for us. It is a very busy week for us. This actually has turned into the busiest, probably the busiest week of, of the year since the, you know everything's packed in. Last year, it wasn't as bad. I take that back. There was a basketball game on signing day, which made, which made signing day itself. Yeah. And that's the infamous game where Connor Couture got injured at Boston College. Um, There's a basketball game the next night, but it was less hectic overall last year because there was no bowl game to prepare for. And I spent yesterday right, try, attempting to write the, uh, the, the Tulane preview. Meanwhile, every 15 minutes, Virginia Tech is getting a commitment. Uh, it's just really difficult to keep track of, and I'm sure my game pre- preview suffered as a result. So I can only imagine uh, you know, what coaches are dealing with this time of year. Like, you're trying to prepare for Tulane, but... You know, you've got all this recruiting stuff you also have to do. That, that, that's why I guess uh, they allow such big staffs these days. It, it takes a group effort. Well, that's why it feels like bowl games have kind of been diminished a little bit. I don't mind. I love watching bowl games anyway. But it used to be like, all right, this is the end of the season, and now the se- the off season starts before the season is over with. And, uh, you know, this is sort of the system they've set up. 
I don't know how you avoid that with a, a new semester starting in January. A lot of these guys have to get in the portal and get moving to their next stops uh, so they can be all set up for their next position. The coaching transitions happen too. So uh, I don't know how you fix this necessarily. I think uh, maybe having like a true early signing day in like August for then, guys that, yeah. that like actually know where they want to go instead of, I mean, they move it up a, what, a month and a half from the old February date. I don't feel like that does a whole lot. So I've been putting the signing day in December, I think, was just one of the dumbest things that they've done because I don't think it's really early that much, and it's it's right smack dab in the middle of, of everything that's going on in the postseason. If you like to watch bowl games, did you watch the ODU bowl game yesterday? I watched a little bit of it, and I, I turned it off. I'm like, oh, he's got this handled, and uh, <laughs> they, they did not indeed have that handled. Oh, I was at the gym and watching it, and I was on the treadmill, and you know, Western Kentucky stopped them in overtime, or was about to stop them in overtime, and then they switched the game from like ESPN to oh, ESPN that's right. too, because that. like NFL Live was coming on or you something. Got to do the pregame show or something. Yeah, yeah, like that. yeah. A preview show for a game that's going to start three hours later. <laughs> Just can you? It's not like I have the remote control at the gym and I, I can turn the channel. You <laughs> that know? is a slap in the face to the famous Toastery Bowl, it the really storied is. history of this bowl it game. It really is. Well, uh, Virginia Tech football's got a lot of good news as of late. Let's catch you up on everything that's happened. I'm going to quickly go through uh, everything since we last recorded eight days ago, which is a lot. On December 12th, uh, the Hokies' top four receivers, Ollie Jennings, Daquan Felton, Jalen Lane, and Steven Gosnell, announced they were coming back. Uh, Two days later, on December 14th, Georgia State offensive lineman Montavious Cunningham, no relation, by the way, uh, committed uh, to Virginia Tech. Uh, He has two years of eligibility remaining. Cornerback Dorian Strong, that same day, who had an All-American-esque season, announced he was returning uh, one of the best coverage seasons of Virginia Tech history. Uh, two days later, Bashal Tootin running back on Saturday. Uh, Second-team All-ACC pick as an all-purpose player this year, announced he was returning. Uh, he had 12 total touchdowns. Then, that was all last week, very busy yesterday, uh, in span of 90 minutes, Three transfer pickups. Defensive tackle Aeneas Peebles from Duke, third-team All-ACC player. Defensive tackle Kamari Copeland from Iowa Western Community College. And then linebacker Sam Brumfield from Middle Tennessee, a second-team All-Conference USA performer this year. Let's help everyone make sense of it in the big picture before we dive into specifics. Chris, what stood out to you about what feels like all of this positive momentum in the last week for Virginia Tech? I think so far the offseason has gone as well as you could possibly hope it to go if you're if you're a Virginia Tech fan. I, I think a lot of those guys, uh, I, I think there were some fringe NFL guys there. And it's like Andy's been saying, these days I think you can make more guaranteed money in NIL than you can. Or maybe I'm a seventh-round pick. Or maybe I'm an undrafted free agent, but if I don't make the final roster, my signing bonus isn't very big, and I could have made more if I stayed in college, right? I think that factors in. I think Virginia Tech's NIL program is strong. I also think uh, Brent Pry has built a program where it seems like there's good camaraderie and it's fun to play in. Um, so I, I just think Tech has a lot of momentum going for it for it right now with, with the way they played, you know, going five and three down the stretch. All five of those wins being, you know, of the blowout variety, particularly that last one against UVA. You know, I, I just think the, there's a good vibe about the program right now. And, and obviously NIL helps, but, you know, it's a program that people want to be a part of. Yeah, uh, I think of all those guys that announced they were coming back, Dorian was the one that maybe surprised me 
a little bit. I thought he had the type of season that could go to the NFL. Uh, I think he has the measurables and can run fast enough that, you know, the kind of stuff that an NFL team looks for. Uh, I don't necessarily mean, I don't think that means he's like a first day pick or something like that, but, uh, you know, third round I could have seen that I don't know what his draft stock was so yeah. you know maybe NFL scouts thought otherwise on that stuff but uh, you know him coming back Monster Delane also announcing he's coming uh, staying at Virginia Tech uh, I don't know if it was an <laughs> announcement as much as it was just like he put a thing out with Triumph saying this is home like he didn't explicitly say I am not transferring but that was the, right. sub- that was the subtext <laughs> of the tweet is that he was not transferred and like you know I'm, I'm not naive I mean I'm sure he had offers and I'm sure there were people talking to his people about hey you can make a lot of money and go play at this uh, major school they probably throw a bag at him there so getting him to stay this is sort of the new normal that you have to worry about guys that, that can transfer in this court ruling. Now you can transfer twice in this, in this window right now it's, it's unsettled uh, at the moment. So everybody in your roster is basically up for grabs all the time. So this retention is, is a pretty big deal. Uh, and, you know, Chris mentioned, I, I feel like, you know, Brent Pry and his staff have created this environment that guys want to be around. They want to stick around in this thing. And that feels like a very, a stark departure from the previous staff. <laughs> it felt like players couldn't wait to run away from the Justin Fuente era. Like it, it, you know, they'd leave in droves in the transfer portal. A lot of them would leave early in the NFL, even though they didn't really have great uh, NFL chances. Uh, and I know the NIL piece changes that. You look at that uh, after the 2016 season with Gerard Evans and Isaiah Ford, Bucky Hodges. Things could have been different if there was an NIL piece to that whole thing, I think. But, uh, you know, I think I think they're creating an environment here that where players like it. It's fun to be around. They don't really dread going into the building right now. And I think that's what you need in addition to having the NIL piece and being able to be competitive uh, with other schools out there. We chatted with Brent Pry, Chris Marv, and Tyler Bowen, the coordinators, on Saturday. Um, I thought Price comments about Strong were interesting, just about what he can do and what his feedback, he, the feedback he got um, from, from the next level. Um, and it was interesting to kind of pick Tyler, Bowen, Tyler Bowen's brain a little bit about uh, not just what the staff's schedule is right now. What, what stood out to you about those interviews? Yeah, I think with Pry talking about Strong saying he wants to be a first round pick. I don't know if he has that ceiling necessarily, but I think he gives himself a chance to play into it uh, next year. Uh, we'll see how often he's challenged. It wasn't challenged a whole lot this year in terms of number passes that go his direction, but um, you know I think that was a function of there were other places to go in the defense that you could attack this defense, especially in the ground game, that you didn't need to throw it a whole lot. So we'll see if Tech is better against the the run next year, if maybe he gets some more chances in the pass game, uh, guys throwing his direction. You know, other than that, it wasn't all too surprising, anything that they, they talked to us about. I feel like these coaches are just kind of trying to juggle everything right now. Uh, you know, they're on the road recruiting. They're trying to prepare for a bowl game. Sounds like for a lot of those practices, they had GAs and, and some of the, the, the staff that was here in town running those practices just to sort of keep things sharp until the, the main coaches got back uh, from the road. So uh, this isn't, uh, you know, this is don't cry for me, Argentina. This is not like we're <laughs> feeling bad for these coaches. They get paid a good amount of money to do all this stuff. And, you know, to their credit, it sounds like, you know, they didn't want anybody to feel bad about them for the schedule. You know, Marv and, and Bowen, I think both explicitly said, like, we look at this as an opportunity. This is this is the fun part to go out there and do this kind of stuff. To be uh, good at recruiting, I think you have to enjoy and embrace recruiting. And I think this staff has just kind of shown that uh, 
that they've taken on that challenge. You know, I think they enjoy that that part of it. And uh, it's not something that, that everybody would enjoy. You see coaches these days that are like, you know what, if you're going to pay me this much money to just to be an analyst and I don't have to recruit, yeah, I'm going to take that. Um, but, you know, there, there's a certain number that really do enjoy getting out there and building relationships and competing on the recruiting trail. And it seems like Brent Pry has built his staff with quite a few guys who, who fit that mold. There was a coach in, in Auburn that uh, really didn't like the recruiting aspect of the whole thing. And mm-hmm. he was good at it, but in like, he's like, uh, you're going out recruiting. He's like, I'm going out begging this weekend. It's <laughs> like, that's what you do. You go out there and you beg these 17 and 18 year olds to come play for your team. It's like, man, that's got to be a miserable existence if you don't enjoy that thing. And incidentally, he went to the NFL. <laughs> to yeah, big shock. Yeah. Didn't have to go begging in that situation. Yeah. We'll talk more about signing day tomorrow, obviously. But I think that's a cool celebration of we spend so much time covering recruiting. They spend so much time actually going on the road, meeting families, building relationships. They get to celebrate it all. Uh, let's dive into some of these uh, announcements. Virginia Tech's top four wide receivers are coming back. Ollie Jennings, Daquan Felton, Jalen Lane, Stephen Gosnell. They announced they were returning in the same announcement, which I thought was pretty pretty interesting, pretty unique. Uh, they combined for 105 catches, 1,600 yards, and 19 touchdowns in 2023, despite Jennings only playing in one game and one drive in right. the second game. Uh, combine that with Kyron Drones coming back. Is any of that surprising to you? And where do you feel like that unit currently stands? Yeah, it's not very surprising to me, I don't think. I, I, Felton, to me, has the look of an NFL receiver, but I think he needs another year of refinement. Remember the first month to his season, he got off to a slow start. You know, I think he had trouble adjusting the speed of the game. Uh, he dropped a pass against Purdue that got intercepted. Uh, he dropped a deep touchdown against either Marshall or Rutgers. Rutgers. And, yeah, yeah and, and I think uh, he just he was having trouble catching you know, just adjusting to, to the a higher level of football. But once he did, he really took off. I think he can refine his game in even more and, and improve his draft status. Uh, it's funny, you know, we all went into the season projecting Ollie Jennings probably to be the top receiver. And now it, now it almost seems like, oh, wow, Ollie Jennings is going to be a bonus next year, right? He's like icing on the cake. And I don't mean that in any disrespect. Virginia Tech has a good and deep wide receiver core, you know, to the point where, okay, they're going to be a run-heavy team is what it seems like. So, like, how many, how much playing time is there to go around after the top four receivers, you know, with, with Jennings coming back? Because with him coming back, that's going to eat into the snaps of some of these backups. That's my main thought is, like, Aiden Green played over 200 snaps as a true freshman, but Ali Jennings is back and so is everybody else. So how does that affect the snap counts of those other receivers? Daquan Wright is gone. Uh, does Tech continue with so many too tight formations or do they maybe spread the field a little bit more with an extra wide receiver to try to keep all those receivers happy? It's a good problem to have if you're Fontel Mines. Yeah, and I, I think the big thing to look at is consider how much work this receiver group got with Kyron Drones last offseason. You know, it was split with Grant Wells. Uh, Kyron's getting used to the offense. They're going to have a whole offseason where Kyron is the guy. You know, there's no question he's going to be the quarterback next year. All four of these receivers are going to be in the fold. They're going to have all summer to throw with each other. 
uh, I think that's really advantageous to this offense. I mean, knowing that you have the quarterback in place, knowing that they can work with these receivers. Um, you mentioned the next wave of guys. I mean, they're going to lose all four of these guys next year. Yeah. So <laughs> it would behoove them to get the next wave ready to go and, and keep a lot of those guys in the boat. And I'm sure they're trying to do that. It'll be interesting to see because there's, you know, there's really only so much playing time to go around. Can you tell these younger guys, just be patient. Your time will come. It's tough to do in this day and age of college football to do that. So it wouldn't surprise me if they lost somebody to the transfer portal because of that. But I, I, I certainly think they want to try as hard as they can to keep everybody because they're set up pretty well for the future with the guys they have coming in. You don't want to have to replace all four guys in the portal next year. Right. You know, you, you can certainly see one or two additions being made depending on the process of or the progress of the young guys in the program. But you don't want to have to, like, completely redo the room in the offseason and, and start from scratch. When you look at that wide receiver depth, Aiden Green, uh, who played a lot this year, Tucker Holloway, obviously played a lot of punt returner mm-hmm. and got some stamps of wide receivers. Avion Turner Bradshaw, he, he's got electric speed. What stands out to you about that depth? Yeah, just exactly that. I think Aiden Green is like a really natural receiver. I was really impressed with him as a high school recruit. I think he took to the offensive system very quickly. You know, I think he only called four or five passes this year, but he was on the field. I mean, Tech obviously was a run-heavy team, but he was on the field for a lot of those running downs because I think the coaches trusted him when it comes to run blocking, which that's not something you necessarily see with true freshman receivers a, a lot. A lot, so I think he's got a chance to be a complete football player. He can play inside, he can play outside. Uh, he's pretty good in the run game uh, this year, and, and he'll he'll develop into a reliable receiver. It's just you know once you get past the first three or four receivers at Virginia Tech, considering the amount they throw the ball, there's just not a lot of passes to catch. Um, so you know you've got to find a way to keep those guys engaged and show them the light at the end of the tunnel. But you know I like all those guys. I, I've 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 really liked. Uh, Turner Bradshaw, since he came out of high school, I think he can be a dynamic player. Um, we, we haven't seen him on the field a lot, but we have seen how fast he is. And we've even seen him in uh, diversionary roles against UVA. You know, he, he should get an assist for that one, for that one <laughs> touchdown. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I just I think it's a deep group. I, I think positions or everybody remembers how tech lacked depth at wide receiver in 2022. Right now, I think their fifth, sixth, and seventh receivers would start for the 2022 offense. I mean, lack depth in 2020, lack depth going back to 2016, (laughs) 2015. I mean, I feel like we've been talking about lack of receiver depth for a decade plus at Virginia Tech, where maybe you have those top two guys, and then it's like, okay, winging a prayer (laughs) after that on who's going to step up. So this is a welcome change. I mean, in the last 12 months, they've completely reshaped this receiver's room to the the point where it was probably the weakest position unit on the team to now it's probably the strength. Yeah. Is there a stronger position group on this team? I'm having a hard time thinking one off off the top of my head. It's, It's an incredible, dramatic turnaround. Yeah, remember Holman Wiggins always said he wanted eight. Yeah, I'd love to play eight. It's like, well, you have two. Yeah, maybe three. <laughs> well, you can. Count and there, Bucky there were some Hodges. seasons where they're just like Trey Turner and Tavian Robinson. They're not coming off the field ever. And well, that, tw- was, that was their receiver core. Twenty seventeen, it was Cam Phillips. Yeah, and that was pretty much it. And because they, they were starting uh, Sean Savoy, who was a true freshman in the slot. Right. They were starting Dalton Keene, a true freshman at tight end. You know, the, it was just there was just no depth there at all. Yeah, it's very interesting how. Uh, a year ago, uh, you, you think back to the, the 2021 season, the only wide receiver in that's a top seven that was that was here was Stephen Gosnell. 
everybody else has been added since then. Yeah. Um, Bashal Tutin coming back. How big is that, Chris? Big, especially, you know, I, I think he showed this year what he could do. He ran for 727 yards. And remember, he only combined for 11 carries in the Marshall and <laughs> NC State games, right? So how many yards? Andy, you predict him to be an 800-yard rusher this yeah, year? Yeah, if they used think, him in all 12 games, maybe it would have gotten You were there. correct. They really spirit. only used yeah. him in 11 yeah. games. Uh, so, and, you know, so I think you get in a situation where you aren't behind in some of these games. And, and I think I think if they had this, if they could start the season over again, knowing everything they know now, he would have rushed for more yards. Um, and I think if the offensive line can improve, and, you know, I think they're going to, I don't think they're necessarily done with portal additions for the offensive line. We'll just have to wait and see. Um, I think he's got a chance to be a 1,000-yard rusher next year. Um, that, that's actually going to be, I plan to do, and inside the numbers articles at some point this offseason on 1,000-yard rushers. But, you know, I went back like 10 years and looked at the number of 1,000-yard rushers in college football, and there's like 10 or 15 fewer now than there was 10 years ago. It's just, it's just not as common part of the game these days. So when you sit here and you got that 1,000-yard benchmark, and it's not quite the same as it, as it once was, so maybe we should set it at 900 yards in the future. I, I, I don't know, but uh, I think he's got a chance to be that type of running back for Virginia Tech. And, and I, th- I think the big thing is, like, you know, like drones to a certain extent, you know, it took the staff four games to figure out how to use him and things like that. And so drones is going to have the benefit of being a full-time starter, 12 games with a staff that knows how to use him based on experience was going to be the same thing for Tootin. I think they have a much better idea of what type of offense they have to be now, and that's going to benefit him. And, you know, his talent level is going to benefit the Hokies. I I think he, he and drones make a really good one, two punch in the running game. I mean, they're just, they're tackle-breaking machines. Nobody wants to get in front of those guys. Yeah, and it, it allows them to play that kind of offense. I think another big piece is he, he was an All-American kick returner. Mm-hmm. I mean, two kick return touchdowns, that, that's a big weapon. Third in the country, team. average. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I mean, to have that uh, as sort of a, you know, a, a tangential thing to his, his running abilities as a running back, I, I think that's a, a really big deal. And, uh, you know, I think he showed what he can do this year breaking a lot of tackles, getting the yards he had, even when the blocking wasn't perfect. I think if they can improve that offensive line a little bit, I think you're right. I, I think he can have a substantially better year in 2024. If they can put him in a position where he's breaking more tackles of cornerbacks and safeties as opposed to defensive ends. Right, if, if he can do that against defensive <laughs> yeah. ends, like yeah. imagine what he can do against a guy who's 50 pounds lighter yeah. in the secondary. I swear the, like the ODU game this year was like the most impressive 64-yard performance I've ever seen. He broke 10 tackles or forced 10 missed tackles that game and barely got past the line of scrimmage the entire game. It was it was really he incredible. He averaged 2.9 yards per carry in mm-hmm. that game, had 55 yards. Yeah, if he uh, hadn't gotten the ball two times against NC State, he probably would have been over that 800-yard uh, mark. Um, you, you mentioned how important the offensive line is, and adding to that, uh, Montavious Cunningham from Georgia State, Committed on December 14th, has two years of eligibility remaining, 6'3", 305 from Athens, Georgia. He had a 69 overall PFF grade this year, 73.8 in pass blocking. Um, If you look and compare it to tech starters, I know he's playing against different competition, obviously, uh, but his grades are better. If you look at a common opponent like Marshall, his grades were better than three-fifths of 
Tech's starting offensive line. Chris, do you feel like he might move over to guard? And, and how, how big is that addition? I view him as a guard who can play tackle. I think when you're in a, when you're coaching the offensive line, you try to get your best five players on the field regardless, but you can't put a couple of like two six two or six three guys out there at tackle. You can do that at right tackle, which is what Georgia State did with him. He played right tackle. I think he'll play guard for tech and also provide artificial depth at right tackle. So I, he graded out pretty well at Georgia State, you know, particularly against a like opponent, you know, such as Marshall. But you also have to understand that I think he was probably playing out of position at, at, at Georgia State. I think he's a better fit at guard and I think he'll start for Tech. I think he's he's an improvement. Um, I think he adds talent and obviously will add competition in the room. And, uh, and yeah, I, I think Tech is still, as far as I know, Tech is still searching for an offensive tackle, which shows me that their intent is to play Cunningham at guard because I don't, wouldn't see the need to take two tackles. So I, I think you're most likely looking at him at guard. Uh, I think I think his initial position will be right guard, and they'll just see how it goes in a competition, a competition amongst all the guards. I think not many guys' jobs are safe after last year. I think you look at the offensive line performance, and you go, everybody could have been better in their spots. And if that's the case, and you can find guys from the portal to come in, have them compete, see where they fit the best uh, you know, they've talked about Chaplin at guard in the past. I don't know if that happens now after he plays a full season at left tackle. I mean, Caden Moore has versatility on the inside. Uh, these guys can move around if you bring in other pieces that are better at certain spots. So I think right now the, the key is just talent acquisition. Bring some more guys into that room. Uh, you know, raise the talent level overall and then sort of sort things out uh, later. And it's interesting that they're, they're you know, being focused on this right now. Uh, didn't really do that last year in the portal, even though I think it was still a pretty big need and that was mm. something they didn't go after. And I don't know if that was, you know, f- philosophically because of what Joe Rudolph wanted to do versus what Ron Crook wants to do. But, you know, once Ron Crook came in, they did go after somebody in the portal, Clayton Frady late in the process, didn't work out, didn't really add much to the team last year. They're being a lot more proactive on it this year. And, and like Chris said, I imagine they're not done there. We mentioned Dorian Strong. On the defensive side of the ball, a lot more action going on. A lot of guys coming in. Dorian Strong, one of the best coverage seasons in Virginia Tech history. Just nine uh, of 32 passes thrown at him. 28% of passes were completed for 83 yards. We talked a little bit about him already, but to pair him with Monsoor Delane, who's coming back, obviously Derek Canteen is gone, but that's a pretty good combination again. Um, I'm like Andy, I was a little surprised that that strong was coming back considering that he was injured last season, obviously, mm. and then came out and had such a great year. I thought he might go try his NFL prospects. But Chris, how big is it to get strong back and then to pair him up with a guy like Monsoor Delane, who's played very well? Yeah, tech is not going to be very attackable through the year on the outside. Um, with those two guys. So I, I think that helps you from a coverage standpoint. You can, uh, because of your dominance on the outside, you can maybe funnel things to the inside. And if you can d- design some elaborate interior coverage sc- schemes, you know, you can make some things difficult uh, for the opponents. But, you know, pass coverage to me always starts on the outside. If you have two really good cornerbacks, you know, it, it, it increases what you can do as a defensive coordinator with, with your interior calls. Um, so if Virginia Tech can keep their safeties healthy next year and maybe add some depth there 
as well. They're going to have to find a nickel, of course, and, and I don't know if that will be through the portal or if they'll look inward and say, okay, Dante Lovett, you've progressed to the point where you have to be on the field, but you're not going to be ahead of Dorian Strong and you're not going to be ahead of Mansoor Delane. We're going to give you first crack at the nickel roll in the spring, you know, m- maybe something like that. I know I think Tech – Tech signed, what, like six or seven defensive backs in last year's class, though? So I I would have to believe that, you know, they have to at least at some point give one of those guys a chance at a position like that, I I think. Um, They they were looking at Jonathan Penix there in the preseason. In fact, the initial depth chart this year, I think he was the number two nickel on the depth chart. And then, as it turned out, he redshirted. But, uh, you know, they got some decisions to make there. I think the biggest thing, though, for me, and I know Nickel is, you know, a quasi-starting role, but safety depth, even if it's a backup, like they have to improve that. Because even if you throw out the injuries they suffered this year, how many Virginia Tech safeties got a targeting call at some point? At least three. Um, You know, Stroman, Peoples, and Mose Phillips all got targeting calls against him. I don't remember if uh, Jalen Jones got one. I don't believe he did, but but I don't think it was until at least the NC State game or UVA game, if then, that the two starting safeties, Mm. Nasir Peoples and Jalen Stroman, played an entire game. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think the modern era that that we're in, because of the targeting rule, you need more safety depth than you ever needed in the past. So if they feel like they needed to go in the portal to address that, they can you know, go ahead. But I, I don't think they're in a big hurry right now. I think with both the starting safeties out for the bowl game, which you know we'll, we'll get to, they're gonna they're they're by you know they don't have any choice but to take a good hard look at some of the young safeties in the program. Like like Cameron Fleming's gonna have to step up and be in the two deep now for this bowl game. So they're going to get a good hard look at him and some other guys like him in practice, and that's going to help them figure out if they need to address any needs in the portal. You mentioned uh, nickel for next year. Pry brought that up as a possibility for Strong, uh, just sort of rounding out his game. He said it could be good for him. It could be good for Virginia Tech, too, if he he picks up some nickel responsibilities. Right. Uh, and that might be a way to bring some of those younger guys in and say, okay, uh, Dante Lovett, you know, work on the outside as a regular cornerback. We'll slide Dorian in on, mm-hmm. in nickel situations, and you know, you can work on one position on the outside instead of trying to to learn both at the same time. So th- that could be a possibility going forward too. Probably too early to to draw too many conclusions about what they're doing next year in terms of alignment, but that's at least in their minds. Big news yesterday, uh, Aeneas Peebles, uh, Chris, you tweeted. Uh, when he committed that you said, oh, you know, he was the number one mm. guy I thought Virginia Tech should go after. Now just get Kamari Copeland, uh, Gilliam, Kelvin Gilliam, and Sam Brumfield, and we'll, and Tech will be set. And then Tech got the two other guys later. Did, did, you, did you know that that was coming? <laughs> I, thought, I thought Tech was going to get at least two of those other guys. I didn't know it was going to be happening Within an hour yeah, of tweeting okay. that, though. Uh, uh, <laughs> let's talk about Peebles. Uh, 13-all ACC player in 2023 at tackle for Duke. Obviously, Mike Elko has gone to Texas A&M. He finished with the 11th highest PFF grade of 84.1 out of 319 defensive tackles with 300-plus snaps. One year remaining, 8.4 tackles for—sorry, eight, yeah, eight and a half tackles, four sacks this year. Uh, the Derek Jones connection mm-hmm. there, I believe— uh, Josh Fuga was the only guy with experience yeah. in that room, and that's only because Fuga decided to come back. 
put into perspective how big people's commitment is. It's huge, you know, from a couple of standpoints. Obviously, need. Like you ha- it's one of those things we talk about. Maybe they'll take a safety in the portal. Maybe they won't. Defensive tackles is a situation where they absolutely had to take defensive tackles in the portal. And, and, and you know, they've, they've got peoples now. So, but the scheme fit is what I think is really great. I think it's a tremendous fit for the type of uh, defense that Virginia Tech runs. He's a low center of gravity, really quick, really tough. It's amazing how just overnight how much tougher the Duke defense got when Mike Elko took over. And, and, and this is one of the, the, the products. So, yeah, I, I, just, I think he's going to come in and, and play huge snaps immediately for Virginia Tech. He'll, he'll provide some pass rushing threat, too. He was, uh, I believe, he had 27 quarterback pressures, which I think ranked in the top 30 yeah. amongst those same you know qualified defensive tackles. Uh, so, yeah, I identified him pretty early. As soon as he hit the portal, it's like, yeah, defensive tackle from the Duke defense, yeah, that's going to be a good scheme fit. And he, we already know he knows how to play football. You know, he's proven against teams like Florida State and NC State and Louisville and and and, and programs like that. So, like, this is not a question mark. Like, this isn't, oh, we'll bring him in and maybe he'll work out. This is as close to 100% as it gets. So, this is a tr- that he's a tremendous pickup. Yeah, huge need. I mean, Narell Pollard, Mario Kendricks, Phil Darius Payton, all exhausting their eligibility. Uh, you can't get caught shorthanded at tackle. There's no really quick fix on that, like, you know, you lose some safeties. You're like, well, we'll shift things around the secondary. Cornerback could play there. Then one of the, the star linebackers could go back there, I guess, if they really needed to. Uh, when you lose a 300-pound guy in the middle, you, there's not a lot of those guys on the roster that you just plug and play. Those guys don't exist in general. No, I mean, it's not, like I've said before, there's not a large, lot of large human beings like that. They're just in limited supply. Uh, and you know, it's tough to even slide a defensive end over. You just don't have enough beef in there in the middle uh, to sort of present a, a run-stopping force. So uh, that's not a position that you can be caught shorthanded in. You have to address that. You have to make sure that you have enough guys there to withstand injuries because those guys are going to get beat up on the interior all the time. You're getting hit from every direction. People are coming at your knees all the time. It's just inevitable that you're going to have some bumps and bruises in there. So to get him, and I'm sure we'll talk about Copeland next, uh, Kamari Copeland, uh, they needed that. And honestly, they probably need to go out and get one more guy to feel uh, very comfortable in that interior. Yeah. You pair, you pair the next guy and obviously people's, uh, alongside uh, a defensive end group like APR and Cole Nelson that have played pretty well, especially towards the end of the year. APR was good all year. Um, that, that looks pretty good. Um, Peebles, we were told that the Derek Jones, Derek Jones, when he was at Duke, was the one who originally put him on Duke's radar. And to get him to Blacksburg is, is pretty impressive. Kamari Copeland uh, was the second guy to commit. From Iowa Western Community College, technically he will be a recruit because he's from a JUCO school, not the portal. Um, One of the top JUCO prospects, originally from Virginia Beach, always wanted to play for the Hokies. Jason Stame wrote a great article on him. Go check that out on techsideline.com. He's 6'2", 285. He actually won a national championship this year at the JUCO level. Uh, S.A. Tute, former Virginia Tech linebacker, was on that team. Um, When you look at adding Copeland, putting him alongside Peebles. Obviously, Tech still probably wants to go get one more. Kelvin Gilliam seems like the top priority option. Highland Springs kid at Oklahoma. What do you feel about Copeland? He was originally at Army. He's played a lot of college football, a lot at the JUCO level. 
where do you see him fitting? Really interesting guy who was like a 235-pound edge recruit coming out of high school and went to Army and then just kept getting bigger and bigger. Uh, obviously, he can play at Army. I don't know if he outgrew their – I don't know if they have limits or requirements. Their size requirements. Yeah, yeah. I think they get uh, like – certain uh exemptions while they're playing mm-hmm. football and then after that they have like right. a certain amount of time they have to cut okay. weight to get down to Interesting. a standard size but but yeah you know I, he's honestly a pretty similar prospect to people's uh low center of gravity really explosive guy quick off the ball obviously he hasn't played against the dukes and florida states of the world so even as a juco there's some measure of unknown but it's still closer to a sure thing than a high school recruit I believe, and and he reminds me of a signing Tech made, you know, which turned out to be a very good one in the short term. Deshaun Crawford, who was a small coming out of high school, so he had to go the JUCO route. He was only about two forty, two forty five coming out of high school, then grew into a defensive tackle and just became a tremendous fit for Virginia Tech's scheme, uh, at least the Bud Foster scheme. He was not a fit for Justin Hamilton's scheme. Then it, to show you how how important fit is when it comes to defensive tackle. Like if you look at Crawford after he left Tech, I think he transferred to Southern Miss, and he wasn't as good for Southern Miss as he was at a higher level playing for Virginia Tech, simply because he was just a perfect fit for that scheme. So that's what I really like about these two gets for Virginia Tech is just how how great they are for for the scheme. Yeah, Copeland. I haven't seen him play. I haven't looked at film or anything like that. I'm not a film type guy. His background almost kind of seems like Phil Darius Payne a little bit, where he was. Maybe under recruited coming out of uh, 757, who went the Juco route. Uh, you know, edge guy, interior guy. It seems like they've grown into an interior guy. So I'll be interested to see how he performs once he gets here. Uh, the third guy, Sam Brumfield, a linebacker. That's a huge pickup, mm-hmm. huge need. Uh, 5'11, 226, second team all conference USA performer this year. 81 tackles, six and a half for losses, three and a half sacks, two forced fumbles. 73.0 overall PFF grade this year. Virginia Tech needed a Mike linebacker and went out and got one. Went out and got one. Uh, whereas those defensive tackles, they aren't guaranteed a starting spot because they're going to have to compete against each other, plus Fuga and Panay. Brumfield's going to walk into this team and start. Like They won't put him out there with the ones on day one, most likely, because you technically have to prove it, but he's basically going to walk into this team and start. You know, you can. He played against Alabama last year and held his own he had a great game against missouri last year he's proven he can play against power five competition the only bad game he had this past year well i think was against uh was it against liberty i think and basically everybody has bad games against jamie chadwell's offenses he's that good of an offensive coach so i, I think this guy I, I wish tech had had him that this past year would have been <laughs> worth at least one more win i i think but this is the type of mike linebacker that you're looking for Two things. Uh, Middle Tennessee has got to hate Virginia Tech. <laughs> they took Jalen Lane the previous year. It's like every time they have this really good player, that they, they take uh, him at a higher level. So it sort of almost feels like a feeder uh, program uh, with the Hokies. Second thing, uh, it sounds like he has a pretty close relationship with Chris Marv, who I think recruited him when he he's was at Mississippi, Mississippi State. Yeah, he's a Mississippi guy. Uh, they kind of look similar. Like you look at Brumfield, he's like – a stocky They're, powerfully yeah. built guy that's what marv was i mean he was like 5 11 250 or something like that i don't think brown feels quite that big but he is 
jacked. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he is a big guy for a linebacker. I got, I wonder how much on the same wavelength and just <laughs> sort of the same physical uh, stature they are there. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Marv. Marv was a fantastic player. Uh, he was a Vanderbilt, really smart guy. Uh, who, who I think, you know, when they were there, I think they got to a bowl game by the time he, he was, was a senior. Five, his Vanderbilt profile says he was 5'11", 242. Mm-hmm. Uh, M- Middle Tennessee... Sam Brumfield says 5'11", 226. So okay, maybe, not, as, not as big. He, lo- about, uh, he, he, he looks a little bigger than that, though. Yeah, I agree. yeah. yeah. But, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens when he gets to Tech in the spring and, and they'll... They up, you know, they update to. His, but this was just way. such a huge position of need. I mean, yeah. we all saw it this year. Just sort of the struggles they had, uh, you know, not only in stopping runs, but just getting lined up correctly. I think they need somebody in that defense to get everybody lined up, everybody on the same page, and then, you know, when the run plays coming at them, step in the hole and make a stop. And I, I think this is a guy that can do that. Uh, and all of a sudden, this position's set. I think it allows you a little more comfort at the will spot, where, you know, Keller maybe. F- is a little bit more comfortable at the will spot. Jade McDonald's played there a little bit. Kelly Lawson, you know, didn't have a great year overall this year. Uh, he was injured, beat up in the second half of the season. I, I think he still has high potential there. So uh, shoring up this Mike spot, I think that makes that whole linebacker group feel a lot better. Yeah, and I want to point out height is not important for a Mike linebacker. Like, just get a tough guy who can play football. That's right. that, that's the. I mean, who cares about coverage? If they can't stop the run, well, I mean, how many, we how many guys were, were not tall and they hit like Jack Tyler, Vince Hall, Jack Tyler, Richard George Del Rico, right? Virginia then, Tech has never had a tall Mike linebacker that I can remember. Uh, maybe Bruce Taylor, although he was like a Mike and a backer. You yeah, know, it was just tall Mike linebackers. You just Tremaine Edmonds was pretty tall. Yeah, he was a backer. <laughs> he was but a backer. He's, he's yeah. a Mike in the NFL though, which which is uh which is interesting. But uh, you know, I just I think it's uh. It's probably a little bit under the radar compared to the defensive tackles, but he was, this is – Tech had to sign a mic. Again, it's not like safety where, oh, maybe we'll sign one. Maybe we'll get a running back. doesn't really matter if we do or not. They had to have a mic linebacker if they wanted to improve their defense. Last question before we uh, transfer over to the military bowl. Uh, we've talked about – we've kind of gone down the list of the guys who have committed and, and the additions and everything – when you when you take a, a step back and look at the big picture of this Virginia Tech roster, where do you feel like Dokies A still need to add? And what positions do you feel good about? Is there anywhere that you you go, Virginia Tech still needs a guy here? Because it feels like before yesterday, had we recorded this before all the news came out Monday, it was, well, they still have to f- fill holes at defensive tackle and a linebacker. It seems like those holes are, are more filled now. I've heard they want a third defensive tackle, and I would personally take three. Um, I, I think you can get by with two because I think Emmett Laws is going to be capable of playing as a true freshman if they need him, but three is the more desirable number, in my opinion. Uh, I would also like I would like to have an, off- an offensive tackle. It's not necessary. Tech does return both starters. They return every player on the offensive line. They'll get better to a certain extent just by – guys coming back but I re- I'm really interested in improving the talent level there so I think I think the guys tech have gotten so far were pretty much kind of or at least the defensive players they were requirements and after this from here on out like I would already grade tech's portal performances like B to B plus level it can get into a a plus level if they get their wants to go along with their needs. Uh, yeah. So, sorry, go ahead. It feels like everything now is a bonus. Yeah. 
Uh, there's no just glaring holes on the team. I, th- I think another offensive lineman would certainly help. Any offensive line help they can add to that room. I think that was the weak part of the offense last year. But you're like, you know, they're set at running back. Another running back wouldn't be bad. I mean, he gets pretty young after those top two guys. You don't quite know what the tight end room is like. If, if Gallo decides to move on, it's a pretty, uh, you know, only three deep in terms of scholarship guys there, I believe, right now. Uh, if Gallo doesn't come back. So maybe that's a spot you could look at. Uh, you know, if there's another veteran, versatile defensive back that can play safety and corner, like, yeah, there's another Derek Canteen out there. Or you just yeah, maybe convince, they could convince Canteen, Canteen to, to stay. Turn, yeah. I mean, that, that'd be a big boost there. I don't know if that's a possibility. But, uh, you know, the, these are sort of luxury items when you're looking for at the portal instead of like Chris said needs uh, they filled those needs at this point I guess you have to address for injuries and, and stuff potentially in that case I think tackle would still be uh, a pretty high priority but there's no spot that you go uh, you go into next season you go man that's a glaring hole right now I think they they filled those all up Let's take a uh, let's uh, do this ad read real quick, and then we'll talk about the military bowl. Uh, as always, Virginia Tech is uh, sorry. As always, Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company uh, as our presenting sponsor. First Bank and Trust Company's support has been invaluable to TSL, helping us bring you all of the great content across all of our platforms. Who you choose to bank with can make all the difference. Bank with First Bank and Trust Company, and visit firstbank.com to learn more. So the crazy thing is, we talk about all this portal stuff. That's just a third of what's going on right now. <laughs> signing day is tomorrow. We'll have a whole another signing day podcast. Uh, but let's talk about the military bowl. That's in eight days. Is that going on right now? There's a bowl game We're coming up. It doesn't even feel like it. It's uh, just... <laughs> Virginia Tech faces number 23 Tulane on Wednesday, December 27th at 2 p.m. from Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis, Maryland. Not playing Cincinnati in the military bowl. Uh Biggest news for Tech, both starting safeties are out, and Asir Peebles and Jalen Stroman had postseason surgery and will not play. When you look in the big picture, Chris, what stands out to you about just this game? Tulane's missing a lot of guys. I kept going back and forth. First, I was convinced Virginia Tech was going to win. And then on Saturday, I read Andy's article where Tech's starting safeties are out, and I'm like, Tulane's got a really good quarterback and, and a really good running back, and when Tech didn't have their starting safeties this year, they were very vulnerable defensively. So then I'm like, I might pick Tulane now. And then a couple of days later, you find out Michael Pratt has opted out of the game uh, to go along with their top receiver. Uh, so now I now I'm back to Tech winning the game. So it, it, this time of year where you just you can't even get a good read on who's going to play. I don't even know everybody that's going to play for, for for Tulane. It's it's. Not that many people cover the team. It's hard to gather information. Do we even have an idea who the quarterback is? I, I'm sh- pretty sure. Believe it's, it's going. It's going to be Kai Horton because he's yeah. he's got experience. But at the same he's time, also in the he's portal also right in now. the portal. <laughs> but 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 you know, we'll see. Um, they've got a cornerback named Jarius Monroe, who's an All American and I think a fantastic player. He's declared for the NFL draft, but I can't tell whether he's going to play in the bowl game or not. Like when his draft declaration, he didn't say. And since hardly anybody co- covers actually Tulane football, there's no information on it. So I guess that makes them. I'm putting my like put yourself in the perspective of a coach. Makes them a little more difficult to prepare for, maybe because there's just not a lot of information on them. So I'm sure half my preview might turn out to be wrong. I wrote it yesterday before all the information's coming out, and I'm guessing. 
I'm guessing that uh, not all the information will come out between now and the bowl. So it's a tough one to preview, to be honest with you. Uh, not to mention they're going to be missing their head coach and three assistant coaches for yep. the game. So including the defensive coordinator. I don't know who their defensive coordinator <laughs> is for this game. So are they going to be prepared for the Virginia Tech offense? Or or maybe they're going to take all their uh, frustrations out on Virginia mm. Tech. For all I know, just the – the stuff will just fire them all up and they'll go out and play their best game of the year. It's, it's just, it's a bowl game, basically. You don't know what's going to happen. Well, it's really strange because you now this Tulane team was one win away from playing in another New Year's Six game. Mm-hmm. Instead, they lose that uh, championship game. All of a sudden, they're in the military bowl. I can't imagine this is the bowl game they wanted to play in. And I think it's, you know, pretty obvious from all the opt outs and the head coach leaving on top of this whole thing that it's probably they're not the most enthused to go to this game, I would imagine. Uh, and, and it kind of feels like, you know, different circumstances, but Virginia Tech going to the pinstripe bowl a couple years ago where all these guys opted out, to, you know, coaching change, interim coach on the sideline. Not that that was a, a great Virginia Tech team. They barely scrapped their way to 500 that season, but. Uh, just so much uncertainty with Tulane to the point that I think when the initial bowl pairing came out that the the first line that came out was Virginia Tech by one and a half and now it's around 10. Nine Is it half. really? Yeah. Nine and a half, wow. 10. I mean, it just shows you, uh, first of all, the impact that a uh, quarterback can have on this whole situation, especially somebody like Pratt, who was, uh, from what I've seen, a day two pick in the NFL. I didn't know he was that good. I've seen honestly. as high as second and third round, yeah. Yeah, so you know, day two pick possibly in the NFL, but they lose the top receiver too. They've lost other guys. I can't even name all the guys they've lost because I can't keep track of it going in and out. But you know, the, the interim coach does the, the press conference with us, and there's a report he's going to leave, and then there's a report that he's going to stay. So I, I guess he's going to stay uh, for the thing. They've, hi- they've since hired a new head coach. They hired Troy's head coach. Yeah. Uh, to take over the program, John Summerall. Uh, I don't think he's doing anything Summerall. with this right now. I think he's you know on the sidelines like Pry was he's in that recruiting. pinstripe bowl. So yeah. uh, just so many moving parts with Tulane that's tough to to nail them down. But then you look at Virginia Tech's side, and almost everybody's coming back. Even some guys they're leaving are like, yeah, I'm going to play in this bowl game. So. Uh, I don't know. I kind of get a little bit of that pinstripe bowl vibe from this one. Maybe not that quite that lopsided because, man, that was a depleted Virginia that Tech team ugly, that we saw there. Ooh, if you guys saw the offensive practice that we saw before that bowl game, <laughs> you would have known what was coming in that game. But I, I don't think it's going to be quite that lopsided. But uh, I, I do like the Hokies well, rather comfortably in this one. All of Virginia Tech's wins this year were by double digits, many of them in the blowout variety. You know, the weight game was a one-score game in the fourth quarter but it didn't feel that close so Pitt tried to make a run at it in the third quarter after a fumble but in the end it wasn't that close and then Tech's last two wins were just routes from beginning yeah. to end Syracuse basically. did not put up much of a fight yeah yeah sorry exactly Gio. sorry Gio we're, sorry we're, Gio, we're, Gio. We're, yeah. you, had you had to get that Syracuse mention yeah. in. I think he's, I think he's contractually right obligated to mention it once we a are, yeah, I tell yeah, you yeah. what Fran Brown's doing a pretty good job in terms of recruiting they got Kyle McCord the Ohio State quarterback is he good though uh, or was he just the Ohio State quarterback? Right. <laughs> I right. don't know. Like, is he going to go to a team that has Syracuse's talent level and then all of a sudden yeah. he's tearing it up? I mean, we'll find out. Virginia Tech goes to Syracuse yeah. next year. Um, I'm, let, let, I'm going to go quickly through all of the the people that Tulane is missing that Chris wrote in his preview, which uh, will be published by the time you listen to this. Uh, 
Head coach Willie Fritz obviously went to Houston already. Wide receiver coach Derek Sherman. Uh, defensive uh, coordinator and linebackers coach Sheil Wood. Defensive back coach John Christian Young. Uh, that You wrote, Chris, that that leaves uh, the Green Wave, which is seven full-time coaches for the military bowl, and uh, no defensive coordinator. Uh, two big members of the defensive line are gone. Two defensive ends. Keith Cooper... Uh, he's transferring to Houston with Fritz. He had eight and a half tackles for loss and five sacks this year. Uh, Devian Deal, uh, Devian Deal, Devian Deal, apologies. Uh, Twelve and a half tackles for loss, four sacks. He entered the portal as well. And then on the offensive side of the ball, Michael Pratt, high second, third round draft pick. He's gone. Uh, he's opted out of the bowl game to, to prep for the NFL draft. Chris Brazell Jr. Or sorry, Chris, Chris Brazell the second. He's Tulane's leading receiver who had 44 catches for 711 yards and five touchdowns this year. And then tight end Alex Ballman, tied for second on the team with 33 catches, who scored five touchdowns. Lots and lots and lots of unknown. The one thing we know <laughs> Tulane does have, a running back. Makai Hughes, no relation to Evan Hughes. Uh, <laughs> over 1,200 yards, almost 1,300 yards this year, seven touchdowns. Uh, what stands out to you about this two-lane offense of what you do know? Well, they have a left guard named Prince Pines, and they have a center named Sincere Hainsworth. That uh, stands out to me. Hainsworth, by the way, is one of the best offensive linemen in the country. He's going to go play in the NFL. Um, but, yeah, in all seriousness, Makai Hughes is a really good back, and this is the type of back that Virginia Tech, well, quite frankly, they had not been able to stop this year. You know, they, they've... They've gotten torched by backs like him. And whenever they face a, a really good running back, they lose, it seems like. So almost you almost wonder if like losing the quarterback and losing the top receiver, you're just like, okay, let's just give it to Hughes 30 times. Virginia Tech can't stop that anyway, especially with their two safeties out and their backups haven't been good at run fits all year. Uh, so from that standpoint, I don't like this matchup at all. On the other hand, if you look at Tulane's last five games of the, of the season, they've only averaged 20.8 points per game, and they failed to hit 30 points in any of those five games. Mm -hmm. It's basically been, the, from a scoring standpoint, it's been the 2022 Virginia Tech offense over the last half of the season for, for Tulane. And that was with an NFL quarterback and with their top wide receiver. So something deeper is going on there in their offense where they're not as effective as they should be. I, having not watched any of their games, I don't know But now they is. don't have a quarterback, and now they don't have a, their top two receiving Well, options. that's the, the thing. is like You look at a lot of the you – know, Virginia takes, Tech's faced some good running backs who have not gone off on them, and, and part of it is they didn't have a capable quarterback with right. it. I mean, I think Wake Forest had some decent running backs. Right. Syracuse had a really good running back. They did not get going because there was just not that threat in the passing game. I mean, Florida State had a threat in the passing game. Tech, Louisville had a threat in the passing game. Amazingly, NC State had a threat in the passing game. You did not think it, it was going into that game, but Armstrong played really well in that game, and obviously they moved Concepcion all over the place. Uh, I think if Tulane does not have that threat in the passing game, Virginia Tech can focus all of its efforts into stopping the run, even with backup safeties that they've had, even with the linebacker issues that they've had this year. 
Uh, I think that's sort of the, the, like, yes, this is a very tough running game they're going up against, but if you don't have to worry about the passing threat as much, I think that that gives the defense uh, a little bit of more of an advantage to, to try to stop this thing. And it would certainly help if Tech went out and, like, took a 14-0 lead. Oh, yeah, Tulane that always a, helps. <laughs> put Tulane in a pass passing situation where, you know, that they can't give it to Hughes. But uh, Hughes had seven or eight games this year of 20-plus carries and even had a few games of 25-plus carries. So he is a workhorse type. If it turns into one of those games, you know, he might, he might just be getting lathered up in the fourth quarter. Uh, so it's important for Virginia Tech to not let it come down to that. My favorite thing so far I've learned in my prep about Tulane, outside of obviously uh, their logo, the Tulane logo is sick. I've got uh, a shirt from Homefield with that logo that's on awesome. it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a great shirt. Uh, they have a position titled Dog. Dog. They have a dog position. You how's it spelled? How's it spelled? D O G. D O G. They should go D A W G. Just yeah. go. F- that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like. You know, like Virginia Tech has to start. It's like, you're coming here to be our dog. Yeah. Or well, you're coming here to be our star. Our star dog. They could combine <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Combine it. I believe he's more of a defensive end. Yes. Than a, yeah. uh, and so they could create a hybrid position. They also have an anchor. Uh, they have an anchor, two cornerbacks. Chris, you, you talked about their experience in your preview. Um, uh, I'm going to try to not butcher this name. Cam uh, uh, Pettisclow. I think that's probably right. Uh, cornerback Jarius Monroe and cornerback Lance Robinson. Uh, those are three of their guys on the back end. They're pretty experienced there, even with losing their their two guys up front. This is a Virginia Tech offense that's clicked over the last couple of weeks. How do you kind of see that matchup playing out? Yeah, um, Pettis Glow, I'll follow your lead, and if that's wrong, okay. it's your fault because you're the host. Um, probably the best 5'9" safety you'll see in college football legit excellent football player plays their anchor position uh jarius monroe corner he's an all-american pettis club by the way has been named to an all-american team or two i believe so and they're both seniors uh lance robinson's another senior cornerback who was excellent like ideally for virginia tech you get the running game established and then you throw it. if you're in a lot of third and eights against a very experienced secondary like this that's not a situation that, that you want to be in fortunately they have uh two opt-outs at, at, at defensive ends so and it's not that their backup defensive is defensive ends are bad it's just how good are the fifth and sixth defensive ends because now they're going to have to be in the two deep right and so virginia tech i think has an advantage in this game. They should be able to go out and run the football without too much difficulty. Um, but I, I would expect Tulane to come out and try to, you know, get their safeties involved in the running game to try to put Virginia Tech in long long yardage situations. But uh, but who knows? Because I don't know who Tulane's defensive coordinator is, and I'm not <laughs> even sure whoever it is knew he was going to be the defensive coordinator <laughs> until the last few days. So I'm not exactly sure how long they've been thinking about. Virginia Tech. Or for all I know, they'll come out with the best defensive game plan of all time. It's just when you're dealing with a staff who you don't know anything about and you don't even know who to research as far as has he ever been a defensive coordinator before, I just don't know what's going to happen. So I looked up, thank goodness for uh, good game notes and pronunciation guides. Uh, It's Podesclu. Podesclu. And uh, you would assume he's from uh, Louisiana. That's right? a great Louisiana name. But he's actually from Texas, I believe I read. Yeah, but yeah. close enough. That's right next to him. Same right general to. vicinity. Yeah. Uh, Tulane also has two pretty good linebackers, uh, a couple really good linebackers in uh, Jared Small, uh, 
and is it Jesus or his Jesus, his, his Jesus, Jesus Machado, Machado and and Tyler Grubbs, uh, three fairly consistent guys. Um, Andy, when you look at this matchup from Virginia Tech's perspective offensively, like this is a group that again has consistency right now. Daquan Wright's the only guy that's left really. Um, the other two or three guys on on the offensive side of the ball that have announced that they're leaving, or I guess, sorry, apologies. The two running backs announced they were not playing in the mobile game, but Daquan Wright and Daquan Wright's gone, but the two offensive linemen um, will play, and as will Dewan Lofton. How do you feel like Virginia Tech attacks this defense? I feel like it might kind of just be Texas going to do the same stuff it, it tried to do all year and had pretty well, pretty good success with that at the end of the year. Yeah, I don't think much changes from how Tech wants to attack a defense. It wants to run the ball, wants to throw off of that on play action. And, you know, really the success of this offense has been has hinged on whether they're capable of running the ball. I mean, they're not really a pass first team. When the games that they've really opened things up, they've just run it straight at these teams or, you know, misdirection to get around some of these teams if the blocking hasn't been so great. And off of that, Kyron Drones is, is a pretty good passer. Uh, doing that. I don't think if you, you you put it on Kyron Drones' shoulders and go, you have to throw for 300 yards for them to win this game. I don't know if that's the best game plan uh, for this one. Certainly he's capable of doing that. I, I think he's shown that as a passer these last uh, you know six, seven games, eight games, however many he's started now. Uh, but you know, I think they would prefer to run the ball, throw it off of that, uh, and then you sort of get the defense on its heels, regardless of how good that other defense is. Chris, I, I like the way you phrase it in your preview. You said the Hokies will be facing a very strong secondary with four very good players. However, they'll be facing a depleted defensive line and an inconsistent middle linebacker. Tech's strengths as an offense seem to align very well with Tulane's projected weaknesses. Uh, I think the one other guy to mention is uh, defensive tackle Patrick Jenkins. He had 11.5 tackles for loss and 5.5 sacks this year. Uh, big picture, I don't know. We've, we've, we've talked before about bowls and how much bowls matter. What do you feel like a win for Virginia Tech in this game would mean? I, like, does it mean much or does it kind of just carry the positive momentum forward? It's like, I'll answer it like this. I don't think a loss would mean anything, but a win would mean something for sure. It would keep positive momentum going. It would say, oh, for Brent Pry had a winning record in, in year two and they improved by four wins from uh, from year one to year two. They had their first winning season since 2019, and all those key players decided to stay. So you can legitimately send the message to donors that and NIL donors that you know they've got something going on here, and now's the time to back the program, and I think it would build momentum going into the offseason. I don't think a loss would necessarily would have any negative effects other than but but i do think a win could be just even more of a boost i don't think momentum exists <laughs> from one season to the next i mean you finish a season it's eight months until you start the next season i think it's long forgotten at that point and you hear it all the time it's like a team wins its bowl games like man we took that momentum into the off season really built off of that that was something that was driving us through the off season you lose the bowl game you go Man, we went to the offseason with a bad taste in our <laughs> mouth. We really use that as motivation. Like it does not matter. They will use motivation whatever way they want. I, I think uh it just it makes it easier for 
you know, Brent Pry to go around and talk to these quarterback clubs things when, you know, you've won the last game. You you beat the heck out of Virginia. Uh, and then if you can win the bowl game on top of that. They haven't won a bowl game since 2016. I mean, we're talking seven years at Virginia Tech between bowl wins. That seems ridiculous to me. Uh, so just to, to end the season on a high note, I think everybody's just in a better mood. Uh, I don't know if that necessarily has an impact on next year. I mean, all these guys have announced they're coming back already. I mean, that's that part's already done. Uh, you know, when they reconvene on January 17th or whatever the new semester starts, uh, that is a new team from what the previous one is. And we'll feel different in terms of personnel and, and guys that are there. So I, I don't know how much momentum carries over from one to the next, but it sure would feel good for Hokies fans to, to, yeah, fin- to finish good. the season on a win instead of, uh, no, another loss and going to the season. Yeah, I don't think it much matters for the team. I would like obviously like to see them win as a fan. I would like to see those seniors go out with a victory in their last game. I think the biggest thing is like, is the mood, the vibe. You're a lot more likely to open up the checkbook as a fan or as a donor than if you're in a good mood, right? And this continues, a win in this game would just continue those positive vibes. Uh, As far as predictions are concerned, uh, all three of us, and and will all four of us mm. picked Virginia Tech. Chris, your prediction was thirty four twenty. Yeah, since Virginia Tech has won all their games by double digits, I'm at this point I'm going with it by double digits. I picked the Hokies thirty one twenty three. I think it might be a l- little closer. Andy, you had uh, Tech doubling up on the Green Wave thirty four seventeen. Yeah, the same reasoning. I mean, they, they, they've played well against teams that they're better than at this point. I look at that Vegas lineup around 10. I mean, that's not to say 17, a 17 point margin when the line's 10, it's not too out of bounds with it. So I I gave them an extra field goal than you did because I just, and I just want to say this name, their place kicker is Valentino Ambrosio. And I looked, I I, I looked him up on the roster thinking, oh, this guy's from Milan or Venice. Like a Gucci name. Nah, he's from New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Same thing. Same thing there. You think he goes around doing the Tommy DeVito like? Of course uh, he does. Whatever that Tommy Cutlets. They've got that, some, I'm telling you though, they've got some really good names. Valentino Ambrosio, it rolls off the tongue just like Giovanni Heater. That's right. Yeah, it's an A plus name. They've got some very Louisiana names. I'm not going to go through them now, but if you uh, <laughs> if you want to have some fun, if you're bored at work and just want to have some fun, don't... nobody's at work this week except yeah, that's us. True. Well, yeah. Maxi Baudouin the Fourth. Is yeah. that how you pronounce that name? Uh, that one's awesome. Go Bowdoin. take a look at Gene Jacques Hunter. Elijah Champagne. That's a good oh, one. Oh, that is yeah, a good champagne. one. Champagne. Yeah. Frillo. Adonis Frillo. All right. We well, have roster cards on the site. You can print yeah. all these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Go through, rank your best. Uh, all right. New Give us your names. top 10 two lane names on the yeah, board. There you go. Will has, uh, Will has Tech 3821. Um, I want to do some rapid fire military bull trivia of the last two times Virginia Tech played in Annapolis. And mm-hmm. then uh, we'll wrap up by just briefly going over uh, big weekend for Virginia Tech athletics on the hardwood and on the mat. Uh, the scores from the last two trips to Annapolis for Virginia Tech. This will be the Hokies' third time playing in the military bowl. 2014, Virginia Tech beat Cincinnati. 33-17. Shane Beamer was, I guess, the acting head coach in that game because Frank had surgery. Um, in 2018, Virginia Tech lost to Cincinnati 35-31. Nice to not play Cincinnati this time around. In 2014, well, we got four 2014 questions and four 2018 questions. J.C. Coleman was the MVP of the bowl game. How many rushing yards did he have? 
It's like 155. Or I was going like to say that. 163. 157. Dang. You close. guys are awfully, awfully close. Virginia Tech finished with how many yards passing? Hint, the quarterback yards are different than the total. Because then Sam Ro- I thought Sam Rogers completed a pass. Isaiah Ford completed a four four for okay. a thirty yard pass to Michael Brewer. Okay. So you're interesting. Uh I two thirty. One twenty four. Oh, Michael wow. Brewer. Oh, my God. Michael Brewer was off by a factor for 90, two. Well, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, only threw for ninety four yards. That wasn't a great weather day for throwing the football if i recall that was a bit if i remember it was correctly than the last uh, one. true greg stroman did a little bit of everything in that yep. game if i remember correctly yep. i don't know if i'm stepping i don't know if i'm stepping on any trivia questions here. A, uh joey sly made four field goals for the Hokies in that game what was his long i think he said his career long in that oh one with goodness. like a 49 yard or 49 something yards like that. i was gonna say 47 uh Hokies had two picks and two fumble recoveries who had the interceptions and who had the fumble returns and which one went for a touchdown there's one that Strowman had that then he, I thought he fumbled and somebody else picked it up and scored on it. Did Chuck Clark have one? Chuck Clark had an interception. Yeah, yeah. I thought Dion Clark forced a fumble. Maybe I'm. I just I just wrote that. down the fumble fumble recoveries. Uh, Greg Strowman had the fumble recovery for a touchdown. Okay. So you're missing a fumble recovery and an interception. Yeah. Another interception. Kendall Fuller, was he on there? Yep, Kendall okay. Fuller. And then the fumble recovery was a defensive lineman. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Nigel Daddy Williams. Nicholas. Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> Andy's good at this. <laughs> You're nailing it. Uh, 2018 game. What was the – the final score was 35-31. What was the halftime score? Oh, jeez. I thought it was hmm. – 14 each. It was, yeah, it was 14 all. Was it? <laughs> Wow. I promise to the rest listen. <laughs> I did I did not look this up. That was a pure guess. Uh, how many I, I found this very funny. How many combined penalty yards did the two teams have? Oh my gosh. Have? It 237. I'd say 200. It was 188 on uh, 23 penalties. Including one that was sort of the key penalty in the game where they called Dalton Keene yeah. for offensive pass interference where it's like what? what? And if Tech got that first down, I think they win the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they call him on essentially what was a pick play. And you look at the replay and you're like, that was not a pick play. That's yeah. a pretty bad call, I thought. Ask a back judge. <laughs> 2018 movie. Yeah, we'll, we'll do throwback, ask a back yeah, judge. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, who did Ryan Willis throw his two touchdowns passes? Two touchdown passes to. One was a wide receiver, one was a tight end. Uh, Chris Cunningham. And, oh my gosh. Hazel 2018. Nope. Is Damon Hazel? Okay. Uh Oh, Kuma? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Did Kuma play in that game? Yeah. I mean, Hazleton didn't play Hazleton, in that game. Yeah. How much time okay. was left when Cincinnati scored to take the lead in the fourth quarter? 111. I think yeah, it was like a, a little over a minute, I think. 129. Three Virginia Tech football players that are on this roster were on the one for the 2018 Military Bowl. Can you name them? Jesus. Tisdale? Correct. Yeah. Um... um who are the peoples? Yep. And uh, who else has been around forever? Gal- no, Gallo didn't get her 2019. The specialist. Specialist. Cole Beck. Oh, oh wow. I, oh. Wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought really? of him. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, Tisdale's is the only that one that yeah. I assume will play because Peoples is hurt, and I think Beck still I think has Beck, his arm Beck is still hurt. Yeah, I think he's done. Well. 
Let's All right. Um, to, to finish this, uh, just want to quickly run through uh, all, all of the stuff that happened over the weekend. Virginia Tech men's basketball beat Vermont by 22. Uh, 73 51 in Castle. Did you go to that game? Uh, yeah, I mean, you sit there at one point and it's like 28 to 4. How'd you give up two safeties, right? I mean, <laughs> but, but let, let, let me note we came into the season saying you worry about the defense. And, you know, after the first few games of the season, I was still worried about the defense. Tech has made tremendous strides defensively over the last few weeks. Like, like even in the Auburn loss, like most of Auburn's points came on runouts. Right off bad tech offense, more so and, and turnovers, more so the like tech's half court defense was good. Even the FAU game, their half court defense was good, and then they kind of just gave up after they realized they couldn't score. But in the Ken Pomeroy ratings right now, Virginia Tech's adjusted defensive efficiency is higher, 49th, better than their offensive efficiency. 69th, never, nice. th- never thought I would say that this season. Yeah, um. I'm, I'm refreshing my memory because I have not looked at this box score in a while because I knew we were only going to briefly touch on it. Lynn Kidd, double-double. Uh, Tyler Nickel had 13 points. Hokies made 10 three-pointers. It was a good day in, at the office. Uh, the next day on Sunday, I was up in New Jersey, my second trip to Rutgers this year. Women's basketball won at Rutgers 84-59. It was Kenny Brooks' 500th win, and I thought it was really cool. Unfortunately, Will's not here because I was going to have Will talk about it. Will was in New Orleans in 1995 when Bill Foster won his 500th game as the men's basketball coach. Mm-hmm. The Hokies, uh, that was a game originally scheduled to play in Cass Coliseum against Wright State. Hokies moved it to Lakefront Arena in New Orleans yeah. because so many Virginia Tech fans were traveling to the Sugar Bowl. They played it at 11 a.m. Central the day of uh, New Year's Eve of the Sugar Bowl. Hokies won that game. I believe you, I went back and looked in the archives, and Antonio Freeman had some... Crazy day for the Packers, I believe that probably day. so. And then, yeah. uh, and then the Hokie, you know. So you, if you were a Hokie in New five. Orleans, you got to go watch that basketball game. Freeman, Freeman was drink uh, on Bourbon Street, watch Freeman, and then go watch Virginia Tech beat Texas. Freeman was just he was a rookie that year in the NFL, and people were high on him. I think he only caught like eight passes as a as, as a rookie, but then he broke out the next couple of years. But I do think he remember he had a good game late in the season. Maybe he like returned a kickoff or a punt for a touchdown. And that put him on everybody's radar for, for the next year. Man, I wish I'd been old enough to be in New Orleans that day. Well, how amazing would it be to like go to a Virginia Tech basketball game and like 11 a.m. by one o'clock you're out of the arena, you're on Bourbon Street, and then you're going to the Sugar Bowl that night and you win both games. Outside of the, like the national title game appearance, I probably think that day was probably like the peak day in Virginia Tech athletics. And then afterwards, you can meet up with. Uh, young GA Brent Pry and JC Price on Bourbon Street. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I'm I think sure. uh, Pry referenced in his. Uh, his I, I, I don't think presser. he's going to reference too many details about it. <laughs> Generalities. Uh, <laughs> I think he said they were on West Worsham's tab that night. So yeah. probably a good time was had. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Kenny Brooks, 500. So he Kenny Kenny Brooks is the second coach to win his 500th career game at Virginia Tech. Foster was the other. Uh, there are three coaches, men's or women's. Uh, to coach at Virginia Tech and win 500 games. Don DeVoe is the other. He coached at Virginia Tech early, won his 500th game at Navy. Uh, I thought the women played pretty well, won 84-59, hit 17 three-pointers for the second time this season. Matilda Eck had a game-high 25 points, transfers played well, and then wrestling uh, capped it off, uh, although that game was before, uh, 29-7 win over a ranked Stanford 
team. Uh, Hokies won eight matches. Pretty good day eight at the out office. Of ten ain't bad. Yeah, yeah, pretty good day at the office for Tony Roby and, and company. Um, men's women's basketball doubleheader on Thursday. Uh, the women are first against William and Mary at two p.m. The men are next at five p.m. against American. I messed that up a couple different times <laughs> uh, over the past couple of days uh, trying to to figure out what day is which. Um, before we go, what's coming up on TexasHighline.com? Obviously, signing day. Then we've got bowl game stuff. It's a busy time of the year. Going to have a couple Brandon Patterson articles, two or three this week, I think. Uh, I'll have a Friday Q&A as normal. Uh, of a column on the signing day class on Thursday. I'm going to try to write something up about how the new portal guys will affect the defense next year for, for this afternoon. That won't be very long because I've been thinking about that for a long time. should be pretty short and sweet. Let me also add, David, you know how lucky you are? Not many people get to take two trips to Rutgers in the span of three months. <laughs> you I stayed you what, at the same hotel, I stayed, right? I stayed at the same hotel Andy and I stayed at the first time, and I went to that bagel place again. Oh, man. And, that was a good bagel and it place. Was yeah. Elite bagels. Uh yeah, uh, obviously we'll have we will have a whole extra signing day podcast tomorrow. Um, how did the videos turn out that you and Will sat down and did on e- on each individual recruit? It's it, good. I thought I thought you know they're about a, you know anywhere between a minute or two for 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 most recruits generally around a minute. Uh, it's we'll see who notices. Like we actually filmed Kamari Copeland yesterday, and Will and I are wearing different clothes than we were for uh, <laughs> last week when we filmed filmed the other fifteen. So. We'll see if anybody notices that. But, yeah, I, that, that'll be another feature of signing day is these guys sign. Um, we're all going to be at Virginia Tech's uh, signing day ceremony. Yeah, thing. from like 8.30 like to 10. Yeah, something like that. But, you know, so Will's going to be posting these videos on social media as the LOIs come in. So watch for that. A little bit less of a lift. I only have to do... 15 or 17 of them. 26 or 7 <laughs> last so year. So many last year. Just kept going and going. Uh, the signing day celebration, this is going to be the second time the Tech's done it. It's pretty cool. You had the opportunity to be behind the scenes for the whole thing last year. It's a pretty unique day from Virginia Tech's perspective. It's just like a party. I mean, they're celebrating the class. They have this draft board. They're you know drafting the players. And they put them up in order, and they bring their families onto the the live stream that they're doing, and they interact with the coaching staff. And they they basically have somebody come up there and say announce the pick as they sign officially. So it's a pretty cool deal that they do. Uh, again, I don't know why they're limiting our time in there. I feel like this is something that everybody should just, you know, be able to see as much as they can. They'd want as much coverage of this as possible. But uh, I think there was talk that maybe the, the stream will be open to everybody to see the last year. I know previously uh, last year, like recruits could see it. Like people they were recruiting in the future, they had some sort of stream set up for that. So uh, it's just a, a fun day and, uh, you know, real celebratory. I feel like in the past that it would come in and they would just be like, this person's in, they tweet it, and that was it. I mean, this is a little bit more fun. They're treating this like a big thing. And I think that goes back to sort of this, this is a fun program to be around right now. That's sort of the environment that they create, uh, the coaches and the staff there. Are they serving breakfast again like they did last year? Any idea? I hope so. I mean, I can't imagine there's not food yeah. at this thing. They're not going to yeah. go through this whole thing and not have food. Last year, yeah. I ate breakfast at home and then went there, and they had more breakfast. So and I you ate had two breakfast. second breakfast. By the end of the day, I was just like, oh, my gosh, I need to nap. <laughs> so we'll have, a, we'll have a signing day podcast after all that stuff tomorrow. We'll talk to Brent Pry and the two recruiting coordinators on each side of the ball, Fentel Mines, Derek Jones and Mike Villagrana, I believe. Um, 
plenty of plenty of good stuff. Go to textonline.com. Corey Moore. I'm going to have a Corey Moore story. Oh yeah, eventually. you want to? I have, you the, I have the quotes for that. I just have to go through them. Hey, I, you told us it was great interviews. It was a really good interview talking to Corey. I have not had not spoken to him before. Uh, you know, I tried to get a hold of him around the in Hall of Fame induction, just didn't work out. So I talked to him afterwards. Uh, got a hold of Bud Foster, Charlie Wiles, talk a little bit about him. Uh, you know, specifically talking about uh, a little bit about his Sugar Bowl interview, the one that's like lived on in, in YouTube oh, infamy great. all those years. How you doing, Randy? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and just the perspective on that, you know, he confirmed some things about that that I, you know, had written in my book previously that I'd heard from people uh, about how that was a planned thing that he intended to do to, to kind of take some of the pressure off of everything. So, uh, you know, just very... Uh, you know, you see that clip and you think of him and you go, oh, man, that's just this, you know, oaf of a football player, trash talking, fire breathing guy. And that's not <laughs> Corey Moore. I mean, that's just you know, like he was intense. He had those eyes that could stare, you know, lasers through you. But he was uh, incredibly thoughtful, really smart, uh, motivated guy that, you know, maybe that that wasn't necessarily his persona that he put out there. That was the big thing, as he said, you know, after that, the coaches are like, OK, yeah, you know, maybe that's not what you wanted to put out there. They understood what that his mom called him and was like, <laughs> what on earth are you doing going on TV and cursing like this? He's like, man, my mom gave me an earful about this thing. So I really interesting conversation with Corey. Uh, the, the big heavy lift for me is getting through an hour's worth of quotes and typing those all out. But I will get that story out at some point. Cool. Sounds good. Well, if you want to read more about Corey Moore, go to textonline.com. Uh, we'll have plenty of signing day stuff, plenty of bowl stuff. Andy and I are traveling up Friday to cover bowl practices and stuff. So thank you to all of our sponsors, the Hokie Way, First Bank and Trust Company. For Chris Coleman, for Andy Bitter, I'm David Cunningham. Thank you, Nick Brown in the back, for producing. As always, this has been episode 337 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Appreciate you watching and listening. We'll be back on Wednesday to chat about early signing day. Have a great rest of your week.